Now, where did I put them? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the Toolbox. Tools for life and everything in between. Stuff you can use or toss, it's up to you. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to episode 2. I just want to let you guys know I got to sit down with a really good friend of mine here and uh, we chatted over his kitchen table, so the audio might be a bit raw. I did try to edit it as best I could, but uh, without further ado, here is episode 2. Welcome to the show. Who are you and uh, what's your military background? Uh, my name is Michael Quinn. I'm an 18-year-old or 18-year veteran of... Uh... Canadian Armed Forces, uh, spent nine years in the Green Army and spent nine years at Kent Softcom. And what, what did you do when you were... I was an uh, engineer by trade, so um, that's pretty much like battlefield mobility and counter-mobility uh, type tasks. Okay. And when you were in Kent Softcom, were you allowed to talk uh, about it? Um, a broad brush uh, on uh, that is basically still engineer tasks, so mo- mobility and counter-mobility for the assault force. Perfect. So, now that you, you're retired now, correct? Yeah. And how long have you been retired? A year and a half. Okay. How, what do you do now? I am a saddle maker by trade. Saddle maker. Yeah. And how are you enjoying that? Um, well, saddle making is good for me because it uh, keeps my hands busy and keeps my mind uh, busy. So, I'm always thinking about how to make something or how to put something together or how to make a pattern for something. So... I kind of get all the challenges that I need from, uh, from saddle making and uh, get a little bit of re- reward at the end of the day when I see something that I've put together. Now, do you think uh, do you think your training and your experience within the military has helped you transition to that, or is it just something you always wanted to do? Um, well, I think there's something to be taken from anything that you uh, learn in the military, but I think what the, um, the military has taught me that I can use uh, saddle making is pretty much just focus, focus on the end state of what I've, uh, what I've set out to make. So, um, I can stay focused for quite a long period of time to finish a task if I, uh, if I'm put to it. So, okay. Uh, <clears throat> any issues since you've been out? Any, um, any yeah, uh, I struggle with, uh, well, I struggle with chronic pain and depression. Um, those are kind of some of the, uh, side effects of um, a good military career i think <laughs> and uh so uh, you know I, I i deal with that kind of on a daily basis but i find that routine and um just being uh, operationally focused towards what i want to do at the end of the day then uh kind of motivates me to get up every morning put my pants on and get to work so yeah you know uh, last episode i was talking to um Chris Williams, he's a oh, yeah. Navy vet, right? And he okay. was saying that the key to any sort of isolation or um, time by yourself is the routine, the, uh, the motivation to actually get something done, and then to see it done right away. Mm-hmm. And I agree with him at, uh, 100% on that because it's a. If you don't actually see what you're accomplishing, then you get discouraged very easily and it starts to where at your willpower, where the discipline mm-hmm. to keep this stuff going. Mm-hmm. Do you um, do you think your the saddle making similar setup like it helps um, you with so, the depression and stuff? Or? Uh, it does to a certain degree. I would say that um, the instant gratit- gratification that you're getting is not there. You have. In order to get the the gratification of something completed, you have to put the time in, and um, I'm a big. Uh, proponent of doing the work you know like putting the work in to see something and taking my time to make sure that it's done to my standard because everything that i make has to be not perfect but you know as as close to perfect as i can physically make it so um having that instant gratification of seeing some seeing the fruits of my labors is not always there but uh i know what it's going to look like in my mind and so i kind of know what it's going to look like at the end of the day and that's kind of what drives me towards finishing the project. That makes sense. But I mean, you're still, even with <clears throat> any type of craftsmanship, right? Like I do woodworking and construction and stuff like that. And yeah. even with that, you're still building along the way. Oh, yeah. Right? You're still seeing when you make a belt and you get halfway through your uh, your punching. Mm-hmm. You're halfway through your punching. Like there's still a, a visible marker for you to actually manage 
That's expectations. right. Yeah, you're rolling down the track. You can you can see the light at the end of the tunnel once you start something, just because every piece that you put together, every bit that you build, um, kind of works towards that completion. So yeah. you are you are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel the minute you start. So which is awesome. I mean, uh, it's one of the things I love about working with my hands mm-hmm. is the fact that you get uh, you get that progression. Yeah, and it, it allows you to develop your expectations I think Mm -hmm. is what the key is because then you can actually see if you oh well I don't really like the way this is coming out yeah switch change it over do something else yeah Yeah. I put a put a wall up in my basement and I was standing staring at it I'm like this just is not this isn't gonna work no and I ripped it right down yeah and then I moved it like two inches to the left and did it again oh yeah (laughs) I was like yeah (laughs) that's better this this is better and it was just a thing in my eye it didn't quite look right yeah it's and a little bit of military OCD there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially for the engineer side of the house. Yeah. Because we're like, yeah. got to have control of everything. It's it. got to be right here. Yeah. 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 I deal with my psychologist regularly about this. Control is such a big issue mm-hmm. with me, uh, with a lot of other engineers I know. Mm-hmm. Because that was the whole job, right? You have to control the environment yeah. in order to do anything. Yeah, in order to create X. Yeah. Exactly. So you got to build a bridge. Well, you have to control the area first, mm-hmm. and then you have to control the ground so that you can actually build the bridge mm-hmm. on it. You have to control, um, hopefully you can control the weather, or you can control the environment which you're building in. Yeah. Got to do demo? Well, you have to control the site. You have to control the scene. You got to control the uh, the demolitions themselves. You control the building, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's so many... Control of your environment is definitely a huge piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I found, since I got out, control has been the epicenter Mm-hmm. of all the issues that I have faced. Yeah. Depression and uh, post-traumatic stress and things of that nature that anytime I start losing control over something, I start going down. Right. With therapy and, and uh, experience and time, and as you said, putting the work in, mm-hmm. I've been able to let go of that control mm-hmm. and realize that it's not viable, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, it's definitely one of those unattainabilities, I think, that uh, having control over everything is not, um, yeah, just not attainable. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's not a not a good thing to set out to finish or to have completed all the time because you, you obviously can't control everything. So, you know, what I've um, learned is that um, the key, you probably got this in your training uh, in Camp Softcom, was mm-hmm. you can only control basically you Mm -hmm. everything out of that you have to react to in some way Mm -hmm. you can mitigate threats you can um, you can prepare for a mission you can prepare for a situation but you can never really truly control that environment or control that time that's right and you can just best you best use your time to make all sorts of preparations so that you can control as much of the environment as possible um yeah, because obviously you can't control everything, but I think having contingencies and having planning and having rehearsals that uh, kind of mitigate some of those um, hazards that's gonna, or that are going to show up are definitely part of the whole part of the control um, nexus, I guess. Yeah. So that you're actually whittling down the list of things that you can't control and you can actually control quite a bit. So. Yeah, it's um, you know I listen to Jocko mm-hmm. a lot and. Mm-hmm. This big thing, obviously, discipline and responsibility mm-hmm. is such a key thing. But he actually went into that a few times where during his training in the SEALs, it was always about mitigate as much as you can mm-hmm. and then let it go. Every, yeah. Like, if you can't stress about stuff that you can't deal with, that's right. So, why worry? Yeah, that's right. And that's an excellent book that he uh, he put out there. Yes, um, I think it's called Extreme Ownership. Extreme but, Ownership uh, was the first one, yeah. He had, uh, he did a follow on that was the dichotomy of leadership, right? Which is excellent as well. Oh yeah, because you know the last chapter of extreme leadership was the dichotomy of leadership, right? He basically took that and then expanded it into a, a book in and of itself. Okay, using similar uh, experiences from Ramadi and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, really great book. And then he did the field manual discipline equals freedom field manual right right which is neat it's actually a pretty solid field manual oh okay so it's I'm having an issue with this yeah oh okay that's what I need to do right right um, and then he put out another one uh, leadership and strategy tactics something like that oh okay which I read and it's like 
It's an amalgamation of all three. Right, right. Uh, really, really good. Mm-hmm. I love his stuff, but it is it can get a bit extreme. I'm definitely not waking up at four thirty. I'd like to sleep until seven. Yeah. <laughs> That's not happening for me. Yeah. But uh, you think you have any issues? Uh, not issues, but predilections for um, some of the training from special forces to your lifestyle now. Um. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think a, a lot of the soft ethos is can be used for um, daily living. You know what I mean? Like uh, humility is a big one. Okay. Just being able to accept that, like, listen, this is the way things are right now, and putting your ego aside and, uh, you know, just accepting the way that the, the cards that you've been handed, because obviously in Civi land, um, things are not as institutionalized as uh, the military. So there's a lot more of, uh, you know, like, um, red herrings that kind of pop up, you know, even little things like, what am I going to wear today? You know, for some people, that's it's quite a hurdle to get over, yeah. you know, like, am I get, am I even going to put on regular pants today? Like, you know, some people definitely struggle with that. And um, I think uh, the soft ethos um, that they talk about in Can't Softcom is, is uh, some pretty good lessons for daily living. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, adversity uh, or humor through adversity, you know, like that's a big one. Yeah. I think uh, that's, that's pretty much in every military, though. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and laugh about some dark <laughs> that's right. And because th- that's the only way to get through it, right? Yeah. But I think um, the fact that in the soft ethos they they uh, talk about that and they actually make a note of it they can make a point of it um just kind of remains or uh kind of reminds everybody to kind of put your he- put your ego aside kind of take a look at the situation as a whole try and find the the humor in it or um you know try and find the the positive in any, in any situation because every situation you're going to be in is not going to be the greatest Absolutely. yeah you know I, I found that about uh this whole covid issue that we're going through right now and i've said it a few times on facebook and uh even on the last episode where this period of time it shows us what a what we're made of Mm -hmm. how we're handling stress Mm -hmm. are you are you able to handle the fact that you can't go to the store right or get your haircut right or whatever it also shows you an opportunity you now have the time Mm -hmm. There's, you know, you always hear the excuse, I don't have time for this, or I don't have time for that right now, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I saw something online a while ago, and it was, if, uh, if you come out of this experience without learning something about yourself or having a new skill or something, blah, 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 uh, you never lack the time, it was just the discipline. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a true statement across the board. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of things in my life that I've said, I don't have time for this right now. Mm-hmm. And when you actually examine yourself, you take a look inside and go, is it really about time? Could I prioritize this right now if mm-hmm. I really wanted to? Yeah. Yeah, I probably could. Do I really want to then? Mm-hmm. Not so much. And I think uh, there's an old uh, military joke, like if you did you sleep, well, then you had time. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> if, you, if you got some sleep, then you obviously had the time to go to sleep, right? Yeah. And I think... Uh, that um, not to misunderstand what Jocko uh, Willink is thinking about that, but getting up at four thirty, the discipline to get up at four thirty, just so you know that you have the time um, in your day to accomplish all that your uh, tasks that you want to get Absolutely. get done. And it's just that discipline to know that listen, I, I'm if I'm going to do this, then I have to do I have to do X. You know what I mean? So, but uh, yeah, you know there are up, up things and down things with this COVID thing, and I think. That um, anybody that come, like you said, comes out of this without learning something about themselves, well, they they wasted their time. Yeah. That's a waste of time. Yeah. You know, nothing's a waste of time unless you make it a waste of time, right? Yeah. So if there's there's uptime and downtime, well, make this an uptime. Like there's plenty to learn, plenty to do right now, yeah. even though you're uh, sequestered to your homes. You know what I mean? So, you know, there's a uh, just make it an uptime, and that and finding the uptime or finding the, the positive in, in a lot of things, I think is um, definitely one of the, uh, the things that can softcom has taught me, like finding the, uh, the fruit, I guess, in, in every tree. So, yeah I, yeah, I know the green army definitely doesn't really do that. A lot of it was either complain and fix it. Yeah. 
or shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah, just suck it up. <laughs> right? Suck it up. Yeah, and but, and there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to be said about sucking things up too. Like, oh yeah, there's a time for it. For there's, sure. there's there's a time when you know like everything's not going to be perfect, and you're going to have to suck it up, right? But if you uh, if you can find the positive in something and um, suck it up at the same time, then you know you're you're finding your uptime, right? Yeah, I think it's fine. it makes it a little easier to suck it up if you can find something positive. Exactly. And I mean, yeah. you know, working out is one of the big ones people don't like to do. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time people just look at it and say, well, the, the benefit outweighs the, the pain. Yeah. So it, may, it gives you that little bit of uh, added, mm-hmm. dis- not discipline, but uh, I don't know, makes it a little easier to do. Yeah. yeah. A little bit less painful. Yeah, for sure. Um, easier pill to swallow, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I remember Embrace the Suck was always the one we said overseas a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't think I ever really embraced it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it just, it always sucks. Yeah. But as you said earlier with humor, you gotta, if you'll find, you just gotta find that. You'll find something funny about it and yeah. then you'll laugh. Mm-hmm. And then it's not quite as bad. Mm-hmm. It, just, it still sucks. It's just not mm-hmm. as sucky. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, like even, you, you can take it even so far as to, not say that it sucks at all. You could say this is great. And like yeah. this is, you know, um, completely turn it around altogether. But you know, it takes that discipline to kind of turn a bad situation into a great situation. Yeah. But, and it takes practice. It's uh, not something you can just do overnight. But um, make a conscious decision to make the best of bad situations. I think is uh, yeah. you know, is, I saw, takes the discipline. I saw a comic a long time ago, and it. I'm not going to do it justice by describing it, but one panel of it had the army sitting in a hole in the in the rain, and he just said, "This sucks." And some random infantryman, and then next to it was the rangers, and he was sitting there rolling through a lake with his rifle over his head, and he's like, "I like the way this sucks." Mm-hmm. And then the third panel was the special forces guys is eating a snake, going, "I wish it would suck more." <laughs> <laughs> and then there was an air force guy in the last panel, and he's like, "The cable's out. This sucks." <laughs> But, yeah, every but, everybody's <laughs> definition of what sucks is uh, is different, right? Totally different. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think it's it goes to show that 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 mindset, right? Mm-hmm. What what do you think sucks? Yeah, and then could you could you then just say, well, this doesn't quite suck as much as that, or this is going to suck, but I'm going to get something out of it. Yeah, or. Um, I think, uh, I think one of the things that, um, the military has, has taught me, uh, from going from military to civilian is, um, or I shouldn't even say civilian because once you're military, you're always ex-military, yeah. right? But from civil, from military to ex-military, um, I think it has been, uh, that, um, that kind of, I guess the, the mentality of. I wish this would suck more, you know, um, that's kind of like a, a little bit of macho bullshit if you ask me, because yeah. of course it sucks. Right. Yeah. But, um, I think it's, it's all in how your mind processes, how it sucks. Uh, as opposed to saying it sucks, yeah. you say, this is great. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just changing your mind about the whole thing. And yeah. I, I think, um, and I think that that's where, uh, training like hard realistic training comes in because you're training your mind to deal with this this level of suck and you're resetting that level of suck so what used to suck it, the harder you train and the more realistic you train kind of resets that level of suck yeah. so when it really does suck you say oh no 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 training was way worse than this yes. we got this so this yeah. is this is not a problem yeah I've, there were a few times in Wainwright which is pretty sad to say that we're harder than Afghanistan. Right. For sure. And that's and that's good realistic training, hard realistic training. There was some stuff that was just BS, but mm-hmm. it, I realized that after talking with a few other guys um, of higher ranks that were there with us, mm-hmm. uh, it was, I didn't realize at the time, as a sapper, I didn't realize that that training wasn't for me. Right. It was for the colonels, the captain, the captains, yeah. and all the the infantry guys to see how the engineers worked and how we could intermingle. And yeah. I didn't realize that at the time. I was just like, "This is BS." Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah. I also afterwards, when we were in Afghanistan, the um, the one thing that struck me was there was a particular point in time. What was it? Um, 
in Wainwright, we were doing a mine clearance. And I was like, why? What is the purpose of this? And it was just a piece of wood with a nail in it. Yeah. And it was just laid on the road. And we had to get in the dirt yeah. and prod our way through it and take the time and do it as per, you know, World War II anti-Russian doctrine. <laughs> doctrine, yeah. right? And I thought, this is just garbage. And then we got overseas, and then there'd be a random Russian anti-tank mine flat in the middle of the road. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> Wait a second, this isn't right. Yeah. And, and you'd have to go through the doctrine because yeah. it's there, and then you would find something else. You'd find a wire, you'd find the yeah. um, the daisy chain that that's hooked the up. Pressure to the, plate. The pressure yeah. plate that yeah. was set ahead of the plate, and all this yeah. other stuff. Um, and I remember... Uh, it was, I think I was in the country for, I think it was like two weeks. And the Americans called us up, uh, some Green Berets had branded a vehicle, so they kept slowing them up, <laughs> cross-loading. And, right, right. Uh, and so it was our first real operation. We brought everybody. We had all the tanks, <laughs> full company yeah. of infantry. The entire engineers were there, and uh, we were rolling up the road. And I was checking, we were checking out a culvert. Or it was, yeah, there was a culvert there. And the tanks had already gone over it, and they had actually cut the wires with their tracks. So as they were driving over, they were like, oh crap, there's wires sticking out of the road. Yeah. So they, we got called, we started looking around, and I remember seeing a box of, like a 12-pack box of pop on the side of the road. Right. And I was like, this is the middle of the desert, right? Yeah. <laughs> that does not look right. <laughs> that that's probably something. So I sent my master corporal over there. He and he took a look and it opened it up and it was a battery pack and I was like, oh, okay. So that's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Started looking around and started seeing the little pieces of dirt that weren't quite the same color as the other pieces of dirt and that followed a path to the pressure plate. Right. And then I, so we managed to figure it out, but it was it was actually the the training. From Wainwright, of just here, this is obvious. Is there something else there? Yeah, <laughs> that allowed me to see that. Yeah, that's good. But it was also, I was able to stay calm mm -hmm. under a great deal of stress because I mean, mm -hmm. you're dealing with obviously someone trying to kill you mm -hmm. and your friends and your, all the people with you. But there was no stress involved in that. Mm -hmm. Until afterwards. Right. I think that's where, as you're saying, that the realistic, hard training mm -hmm. gets you to a point where you're just like, oh, there's a battery pack. Oh, there's some wires. Oh, look right. at that. There's a pressure plate. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's move on. Yeah. The, the tracks in your mind are already laid. So for that train to roll down those tracks, again, is not um, not a giant leap. You know, like it's it's an easy place to go back to. It resets that suck line. So, now, do you think there's a point where it's too much? Like, can you do you think you could you could train to a point where you're going to get skill paid for lack of a better term? Um, I think uh, I think that you can train to a point of um, uh, failure. You know what I mean? Like, but you don't want to be training for failure. You want to train to a point where you you can win every time, and there's a there's a time when you can't not win. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So some some places they train to win. Well, train, and I think that um, Sof uh, has kind of got this nailed down as trained to a point where you can't lose. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And um, the difference between that is, uh, you know, like training your skills um, up to a certain point so that, yeah, you're good. But I think training to a point where um, you are the very best, like the edge is as sharp as it can get. Yeah. Um, and so that you can't not win is, is the way that, uh, way that you want to train. And I think, um, I think after that, if you start making small mistakes and whatnot, maybe it's time to stop, take a little bit of reflection and just kind of figure out what's going on. Um, if you have, have overtrained and I, there is such a thing as overtraining. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're if you're overtraining, I think that uh, you'll quickly come to find that um, you know a little bit of like AAR points and whatnot will quickly set you back on the track. But you know, I I like the way you put that. 
training to win versus training to not lose. I really like that because... Till you can't lose. You can't lose, yeah. yes. Because when we were training, it always bothered me when we were training people to win. Yeah. And it was so far to that, uh, so far past the line mm -hmm. that you weren't letting people make mistakes. So there was uh, an incident in Wainwright where we were training where a vehicle rolled into a minefield. Mm -hmm. The DS uh, hit him with the god gun. Boom, you're blown up. This vehicle's out. Mm -hmm. Called it up. Everyone started working. We started clearing into them. Mm -hmm. Another vehicle randomly just rolls over the ridge right into the, the zone. Bang, they get blown up. Okay, extra work with engineers. Let's get to work. Mm -hmm. And then instead of letting us work two sites or call in reinforcements, mm -hmm. they god gunned the tank initially and said, you guys are back alive. Everybody just drive away. We'll deal with these one pills. And it, it always bothered me that they would do stuff like that mm -hmm. to, I understand there's timings and people need, need stuff needs to be moved along and mm -hmm. it's a larger picture, but you're not allowing the real difficult situation, which is two vehicles in a minefield mm -hmm. and you only have one section to deal with it. Mm -hmm. That's a real life scenario. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they just skipped over it because they wanted us to win rather yeah. than train to a point where we can't lose. Right. Do you think there's a, do you think there's like a definitive line between that or is it just like based on? I think, uh, yeah, I think there's a definitive line, but I think a good commander should know um, what that line is for his troops. You know what I mean? If the commander's doing his job and he is uh, in touch with, you know, like he's got his ear to the ground, he's listening to his, to his men and the men are all, um, you know, staying motivated, staying, uh, focused on the, the task at hand um, and training the failures out, then I think there's no reason why a commander shouldn't be able to um, kind of see that line in the sand. It's going to be different for everybody, right? Yeah. You know, some people, you got half an hour of training time and then they're spent, <laughs> you know, other people can train all day and then, yeah. you know, they're still good to go the next day. Right. Yeah. So uh, and the type of training too. Cause... Exactly. Like there's, there's some like pretty mentally um, taxing training that, uh, yeah. Um, I think if the training is done correctly, then, uh, yeah, you should be training all facets of your, your mind and body. But, um, yeah, there's definitely a line, I think that where things just go sour and yeah. it's, nobody's getting anything out of it. Maybe everybody's exhausted or too tired. Um, death by PowerPoint. Yeah. Death by PowerPoint. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like beating a dead horse. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, uh, you can beat the horse, but, uh, you know, like once it's dead, it's dead and yeah. you know, you have to. You have to make a call at some point where you're like, yeah, this is as good as we're going to be. So, yeah, yeah. like it's engineer training is challenging. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was teaching, I was assisting uh, on uh, infantry DP1 mm -hmm. and doing the field portion. And I was, uh, my, the warrant in charge was like, could you build some mine lanes? It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And we had the, uh, the IED sims with the, uh, the dummy rounds with the baking, so not mm -hmm. for, um, baking the chalk rounds, yeah, yeah chalk rounds, and yeah, blow up people's faces. Um, and I was like, okay, well, how how hard do you want me to make it? And he was like, make it hard for you. And I was like, okay, are you sure? Yeah, <laughs> this is, yeah. This is uh, it's going to be a little rough. Yeah. And he was like, no, no, I want I want them to see uh, a, how hard it's going to be. How hard it's going to be. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. And I laid it out. I took, you know, a couple hours and mm -hmm. lay out this long, long uh, trip. I think it was about a two kilometer trek. Yeah. Through some woods, through an open area, through rocky terrain, through a bunch of different things. Yeah. And I laid the boots to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I crushed them. Yeah. Um, I was laying out uh, a mortar out in front so they'd be like, oh, I see a mortar. We should go around it. Yeah. And then they immediately get hit with a directional fragmentation charge. And right, right. To get hit with something else on the way out, and I was killing guys who, you know, the instructors who were working with them. I was killing them off, yeah, as well as all the, the people, right, right, to a point that the warrant was like, okay, <laughs> we get it, yeah, this is hard, let's tone <laughs> it down, down a little bit, bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but it was that was what he asked me to give them, yeah. So I I gave it to them, mm -hmm. and I really showed a lot of the uh, the recruits there. 
were amazed that the instructors who are, you know, two, three time veterans Veterans. of Afghanistan who have been through it, have done it for years, were getting offed left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. And we had an AAR point afterwards, and I was like, you need to understand that the people who want to kill you are going to do it in the most devious way possible. Yeah. Which is, I think, what we got from training as engineers. I was always told, if you're going to lay a trap for somebody, lay it for yourself. How would you mm-hmm. beat yourself? Yeah. How would you beat someone as skilled as you, as knowledgeable as you? How would you do that? And we came up with some pretty devious stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we can. Yeah. But that level of training, I probably crossed the line to too difficult. Maybe. Was allowing yeah. them to move forward. Yeah. Um, I but, think... I think, and maybe, uh, maybe the commander should have been a little bit more clear about what the intent of the training was. You know what I mean? But if his intent was to illustrate how the the worst day um, was going to go, I think then sure, training in that right. But if his training in was to build confidence in his troops to be able to clear minefields or clear themselves out of a minefield and perhaps he scared the crap out of them but but uh yeah it just depends on what the training intent was uh yeah. of the commander right but um yeah, i think the, yeah i think the uh the, the key thing that i took out of that was the point that i took afterwards was the fact that what i saw as hard mm-hmm. was completely left field right to what they saw as hard right and i realized afterwards that you know, these guys are patrolling constantly. Yeah. These guys are uh, exhausted. They're not thinking clearly. They're not thinking straight. So I may have been a little zealous in my applications. Right. <laughs> but I did teach them that even when you're that tired. You still got a job to you do. You still got a job to do. Yeah. And they were, they were able to focus up and, you know, I yeah. was reviving people yeah. as we went. But it, it definitely has a, there, there's a lesson to be taken from everything, right? And that, yeah. uh, that one always stuck with me. <laughs> course i love blowing people up too that, was yeah. part. <laughs> that is fun watching people uh fail miserably at yeah something that you uh know how to do pretty pretty well but yeah. um yeah i and again it just depends on what the commander's intent was but yeah. uh but yeah there's something to be learned from every uh every massive failure right <laughs> yeah yeah so i want to talk to you specifically about escalation de-escalation okay and what i mean by that is there's a physical escalation when you get, you know, adrenaline boost and stress, some stress was happening, a massive adrenaline surge, and you go into your parasympathetic nervous system, limbic response, mm-hmm. lizard brain, whatever you want to call it. Right? We were talking about training. Mm-hmm. What kind of, is there anything extra training, anything um, um, that like kit, that Softcom gives you versus uh, I would the Green Army? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that Softcom, uh, provides any, uh, additional, um, training in that aspect or in that way. I would say that if, if there was any, uh, additional training, it would just be doing the basics again to the point where there's no way you can fail because that steals all, it steals all the movements in your mind. Um, and I think by doing things over and over and over again, um, how you're reacting during those training events, you're, you're setting the tracks in your mind to react the same way when you're in the actual event. So by changing little things so that you're constantly having to think no event is the same, but you're still checking off all the uh, contingencies that could possibly pop up, you're, like I said before, you're resetting the suck line. So, um, you know, like if your training event, all hell is breaking loose while well, you're resetting the suck line. So when a training or when you're live and all hell breaks loose, you're already, you've already dealt with this. So there's no reason to get excited. You already know what to do. And, um, and I find that, uh, just repetitive training in, in that, uh, aspect has always been the best way to, um, steal yourself. Um, another thing I, I think, thinking about and that um softcom maybe talks about a little bit more than uh um the green army comes from a physical fitness and um like mental fitness uh type of aspect in that um there's a lot more uh 
I think the culture, the the soft culture, calls for a little bit more fitness, a higher level of fitness, okay. and a little bit more body awareness. So okay. I'm I'm gonna say body awareness in that like um, a lot of soldiers are are into mindfulness. They're they're into like meditation. They're into um, knowing themselves. You know what I mean. And I think that having a strong grasp of who you are and what you're all about, like knowing yourself, is uh, is a big aspect to kind of um remaining calm in uh troubled situations you know what i mean yeah you know just getting used to just knowing who you are and being comfortable in your own skin is a, is uh already that little piece of armor that you can kind of steel yourself against uh adverse reaction yeah that makes sense i um i talked to a lot of guys who served at the same time in afghanistan a lot of the issues that they have usually surround their can't say preparedness, but they they didn't have a an understanding of what they were going to be going through. Right, and I think that was the the preliminary thing that that kind of sparked me when I was getting prepped for overseas. I was mentally preparing myself because mm-hmm. I knew some of the stuff that we were going to be seeing, mm-hmm. and it was going to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I never really had much of an issue when it came to some of the crappier parts of the job mm-hmm. like cleanup or battle damage assessments or mm-hmm. where you're dealing with parts of people mm-hmm. that really bothers me mm-hmm. the situations that bother me the most are when the expectations and the reality never met up let me give you the full example here so there was a marine convoy that got blown up uh, the vehicle had gotten pretty much destroyed mm-hmm. and we were dealing with uh, the bodies we were dealing with, the cleanup we were dealing with, uh, random explosives we were finding. What was it that? Some red canister or something? Thermite mm-hmm. <laughs> that had been all like bent up and thrown out of the vehicle, and we we're like, "Wow, that's sketchy, Un- unsafe." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. yeah. Um, so we were cleaning all this stuff up, and that was all under expectation. Mm-hmm. And then we were trying to push the remains of the odds and ends of the vehicle, the little pieces of stuff. We were pushing all that back into the hole mm-hmm. so that we could fill it in and then carry on with the rest of the day mm-hmm. and we had to stop at one point because they were the marines were still looking for pieces of their soldiers right and i remember at the time being upset because they're holding up my day mm-hmm. like I, I was more upset the fact that i was sitting in the sun than concerned for the actual situation right and i struggled with this for years because my expectation of what I thought I would have done was not anywhere near what actually happened. Right. And I can't think of a training situation that we ever went through that would put us through something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it especially difficult afterwards. And I had to, you know, for long periods of time, I would get physically agitated mm-hmm. just thinking about it. And I started after, you know, therapy and dealing with other vets and <laughs> learning how yeah. other people do it you know i found tactical breathing a big one. Oh yeah big that time. helped so much to bring everything down yeah. um and then the other part of it was the recognition self-recognition as you were saying earlier mm-hmm. being able to actually look at yourself and say okay this isn't happening right now the emotions are all there yeah right the feelings are all there the memories are all there but the the physical you're not in that place it is not happening right now right. i am in such and such place, such such time. Yeah, I'm safe. I'm, I'm safe. Good to go. Nothing yeah. wrong happening. Helped a lot. And then mixing those two, you have the psychological effect, you have the physical effect to bring yourself down. Mm-hmm. Did you guys get any sort of training like um, that in soft? Or uh, just... No, I, nothing I would say above and beyond what um, the Green Army had talked about. I remember in the Green Army, we'd, um, we'd watched a video by. Um, uh, Grossman there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like Colonel Dave Grossman. Yeah. And uh, a lot of his lessons are super valuable. And I think um, if I had to, if I had to think about times when um, things were the worst, I think tactical breathing and just being mindful were probably the two things that uh, shut all, all that, all the, I guess the fear down, you know, it's, it's really easy to let that, uh, the fear run rampant throughout your body kind of thing. And, you know, you got shallow breathing and you 
you know, like you, you can feel butterflies in your stomach and whatnot. Um, but I think tactical breathing and being mindful um, help to shut down a lot of that uh, that unnecessary emotion at the time. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, but I wouldn't say that uh, Softcom um, gives anything bigger, different, or better than what the Green Army. I think maybe just the uh, um, the awareness of it and the maybe the amount of times like you may watch that. Uh, Colonel Dave Grossman video more than once a year yeah. as opposed to once in your career. Yeah. So yeah. it's all these things, all these little things, all these little tricks, they're all the same, just they're rep- repeated and they're done more often in the, in the soft community, if you ask me. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I, in the six years I was at 1CR, I think I did demo, not including Afghanistan. Right. I think I did demolition maybe four times Okay. in like six years. Right. That's a big part of the job. Yeah, yeah. It's like 50% uh, of your yeah. work, yeah. And then I went to Meaford as an instructor, mm-hmm. and I was the, the only CMD qualified guy on base, so right. I became the dud disruptor for the base. Yeah. So I was blowing stuff up every day. Right. I had way more confidence, way more skill than the use of explosives in uh, outside of the engineer regiment mm-hmm. than I ever did in. Yeah. And... Uh, I realized that the uh, the skill set that I had when I left Meaford mm-hmm. and retired, I would have never gotten right out of regiment. That's right, because I, I wouldn't be doing any of the work. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the problems with the big green machine, right? Like they've got so many so many individual issues with each individual soldier. So you you kind of say you take a troop of dudes and you got forty guys. Well, each of those 40 guys needs something different. So it's hard to give everybody the baseline, which is basically what you're getting is the baseline so that everybody's kind of got like a a schmick about what they got. And then you got the odd guy that gets some advanced training or whatever. Um, So that's what you got is some advanced training and repetition. And that's all that soft does is just mastering the basics, right? Like it's, it's taking those little skills that you take for granted and just being good at them to the point where you don't have to think about them. They just happen. So um, that that would be the only thing that I would say that soft does a little bit different than uh, um, Green Army. It's just rep- repetition and mastering the basics. That makes sense. I mean, in yeah. every in every high-level sport, mm-hmm. coaches preach the same thing. Fundamentals, mm-hmm. fundamentals, fundamentals. Yeah. Everybody's got to end. Yeah. It makes sense that someone who plays at such a high level would have the basics locked down right <laughs> like yeah. no doubt yeah as and a as a professional that's what you should have it at yeah. a bare minimum for sure i think so and i, yeah. I found that at least in our army i think just due to the fact that how small it is yeah how overly tasked we are mm-hmm. and short we are in personnel right. and skill sets and yeah. qualifications we really lack in that aspect we don't have the time or the can't say will, but like the funding, right? The budget, the budget right. to actually do this. Because yeah. ideally, in my mind, as an engineer, we should be going out to the field, mm-hmm. building a house, and then blowing up the smithereens. Mm-hmm. We never did that, right? <laughs> but right. that makes perfect sense. You got to yeah. live, move, and fight on the uh, live, move, and fight on the balance. Mm-hmm. Live, move, and uh, I can't remember the creed anymore. It's been too long. Yeah. Anyway, the thing that I that I always drew from the military afterwards was the AAR. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a key point in any sort of, especially with agitation mm-hmm. or uh, emotional reaction, mm-hmm. is how you deal with after that. Oh, big time. So yeah, you, have, big you, know, time. you get jacked up and you're pissed off. And uh, I mean, yesterday I was <laughs> pretty pissed off. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until this morning when I actually sat down and I wasn't feeling all those emotions and I was like, okay, was what I did reasonable? No. I think I, I let my emotions get the better of me. Right. Okay, well, how do I how do I change that from happening? Right. And then I, you know, I, I can I can look at myself through a critical eye and say, hmm, what needs to be adjusted, good or bad? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the benefits I looked at was, hey, I was able to stay in the house all day. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't need to segregate myself. I didn't need to be 
away from the boys and my wife and everything else. Yeah. I was still able to be in the house. Mm-hmm. I was in a crack mood all day, but yeah. you know, I was still there. Four or five years ago, if I got that, that angry, yeah, you would not see me. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be it. That'd be done. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, you were saying it earlier is um, being knowing that you, you did what was necessary at the time. Mm-hmm. Or being be having the skills skill set to be able to do it. Can't remember how you put it, but um, the key that I always take from things is that I can I can still be myself even when I'm not myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any random um, little mantras? I don't know. I uh, uh, I'm a pretty stoic individual to begin with, so it takes quite a bit to um rattle me or get me fired up like that but um i don't know i think some of the tools that i use again is just like the uh the tactical breathing just pulling yourself out of the situation um you know and i've always thought that like when people start for that situation in particular when people start controlling how i feel so these people are pissing me off then it gives them power over me so if I control my emotion and I shut, shut or shut, remove my emotion from it, then they no longer control me. So therefore they no longer have power over me. Mm-hmm. So if I, um, if I find myself getting, um, agitated or worked up or whatever, yeah, quick, quick AR, like, okay, w- w- what and why is this happening? Um, is this even required? Like, is this a re- required energy that I'm spending at, yes. at doing this? <clears throat> and then just removing myself from that. Um, controlling your own mind is is like paramount like and you know what uh, people have always told me like hey yeah control your mind control your mind yeah. <laughs> control your mind <laughs> well if you don't know how to control your mind you don't you don't know how to control your mind it's it's just that just that easy like um ever since i was a little kid uh i used to get migraine headaches real bad so um i'd have to come up with uh coping mechanisms to try and get through the pain because like all you wanted to do was blow your head off like it was so terrible but um and i think that uh because i experienced those um uh, headaches at such a young age kind of taught me to uh find tools to kind of remove myself from what was going on and then like shut it all down so uh there's a book called um zen in the martial arts and uh it's an excellent book. It talks about Bruce Lee and a couple other things. It's been a long time since I read it, but uh, there's one one um, chapter in there about uh, focusing on something. So I find whenever I got one of these really bad headaches um, when I was a kid, I'd focus on like a tiny dot on the roof and just think about, okay, like why is that dot there? You know, what is that dot? You know, what what could that dot be? And just completely zone out everything else. Um, and essentially just meditating on this one little thing and everybody's got to find their own one little thing, you know, whether it's like thinking about like a happy memory or the place that you like to hang out all every day, um, or something that you like to do. But I think, um, teaching yourself to control your mind so that you can focus on that one little thing. And that's the only thing that you're thinking about is a, is a good practice. And that, uh, that shuts down a lot of, um, needless emotion you know what i mean that's uh that is uh can quickly rabbit hole you into you know various arguments yeah. and or violent action you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. various bad things so it, it can take you down a rabbit hole pretty fast mm-hmm. um, one thing i love about martial arts i've been involved in martial arts most, most of my life and yeah it, it really does teach you how to be here mm-hmm. right here in this moment right now yeah um jiu especially i just started taking this Mm-hmm. It is probably the most effective martial art I can think of um, that I've taken mm-hmm. to bring you into the moment, to get the, the feeling of right now. Right. And I think because it's grappling, mm-hmm. I'm sure wrestlers and sample practitioners and uh, close quarters instructors mm-hmm. would all tell you the same thing, that being able to react to the feeling of somebody else versus watching a strike come in and reacting to it right uh, is it's a huge leap mm-hmm. now i mean high level practitioners of any martial art it's going to be uh complete muscle memory right you're they're they're going to be thinking so far beyond what is actually happening right now that 
the reaction is what's key. Right. And one thing I really like about jujitsu, especially, is that <clears throat> you have to have a plan. <laughs> you can't you just wing it. <laughs> you can't just wing it, right? You yeah. can't block for a while and then figure out how you're going to deal with it. You have yeah. to have a plan. Because if you fall behind someone else's OODA loop, you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. hard to catch up and then yeah. try and reverse that. Um, you basically have to abandon your original plan, start a new plan, in the midst of someone else trying to choke you. <laughs> yeah, right. Doing, enacting their own plan. Yeah. yeah. And then enact a different plan. Yeah. Um, and I, I really love it specifically for that. And I think martial arts are such a key uh, component in gaining that ability, mm-hmm. gaining the ability to look at yourself, gaining the ability to be mindful in the moment, mm-hmm. and, and be able to handle those stressful situations. Yeah. Right. That's right. There's nothing quite like having a 300 pound dude on top of you yeah <laughs> just crushing the life out of you right uh to make you feel a little bit claustrophobic yeah humble <laughs> yeah, yeah. Humble for yeah. sure yeah yeah i uh had a, a little a young young girl that trains with us she's mm-hmm. 16 or 17 or something like that mm-hmm. i don't think she weighs more like definitely i'm twice her weight for sure mm-hmm. at least and she can tie me in knots really <laughs> like no problem huh. um and then you look at there's other guys who, you know, they're they're big, they're 200 plus pounds, uh, they're strong, they've been training a lot of other things, and they will get the floor wiped with them by a dude who's 110, right, and just a little bit wiry, and, yeah. But he's been doing it longer, right, yeah. But it, and humbling, as, as you said, mm-hmm. there's nothing quite as humbling as getting your butt kicked. <laughs> yeah. Well, it goes it goes the same way with training too. Like if if you fail during training. You know, you have to put your ego aside and eat some humble pie, right? Learn from it. You know, a lot of people can uh, make a mistake or fail and instantly blame somebody else or something else for the uh, for the outcome of that uh, that failure, right? But I think um, putting your ego on the shelf and uh, suck, like like Jocko says, you know, take some ownership of uh, of your situation. Yeah. You know, and that's the, that's first and key. Like if you, cause if you're not willing to take ownership of it, why should anybody else take ownership of it? So, you know, if you're not willing to change or fix what, uh, what happened, then, you know, yeah. why should anybody else? Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I remember having a conversation with you the last time you were hanging out and, uh, I was talking about veteran advocacy and who mm-hmm. is going to lead us into this next generation. And, um, I always had this vision of a, this paragon from tier one spec ops is going to come down some assaulter who he's going to be like, all right, boys, follow me. This is the way forward. We're going to fix everything. Right. (laughs) After a while, you start to realize you're like, that person doesn't exist. No. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's got their own issues. Everybody's got their own views on things. Yeah. And if, if you see a problem, why aren't you fixing it? Mm -hmm. And that's where I started getting more and more involved into veteran advocacy because I didn't see anybody else doing what needed to be done in my in my eyes. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny that these people just I think people crave leadership, right? In a, in a vacuum, you yeah. look for leadership. Yeah, but if no one else is stepping up, then yeah, it's got to be you. Yeah, you're it. Yeah, you're if it. you can recognize that there's a hole, a vacuum, yeah, you got to fill it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Taking uh, taking responsibility of the situation, like you know, filling that hole, that's uh, is pretty key. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I missed a lot of those opportunities when I was in mm-hmm. because I just didn't know. And I really wish that uh, I had read Extreme Ownership mm-hmm. <laughs> or it had been out yeah. when I was still in the army, uh, because man, I made some serious mistakes in a leadership roles that uh, kind of defined my last a little bit of. My time in well, if you don't, writing. if you don't know, you don't know, right? Yeah, absolutely, you know. And the benefit I got out of it is I can now, I can look back on it and say, oh, those were mistakes. Mm-hmm. Learn from them mm-hmm. and adjust accordingly. Mm-hmm. Definitely some cringeworthy events. Yeah, <laughs> I think everybody's got a career. Well, anybody with a full career has got some cringeworthy events yeah. where you're just like, oh man, I really screwed the pooch on that one. But yeah. you know, but uh, as long as you can. As long as you realize, like, yeah, it was my mistake. I'm the one who screwed the pooch at this, and then uh, fix the problem. You know, like, yeah, 
It's it's did growth. See, That's growth. Did you see more of that in the soft community, in like the um, side of it? Or yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, um, I think the AAR process for the soft community is um, down to a science. You know what I mean? Like every little thing is noticed, and everything little thing is brought up so that everybody can get better. Because mm-hmm. um, what somebody does one time, somebody else might do another time. And again, the big difference between Soft and um, Green Army—not that, that that's what the show is about—is the difference between the two. But um, is the people having the humility to say, "Yeah, that that was my problem. That I did this." Uh, you know, take ownership of what their um, what their actions were. Well, you know, that's that's yeah. that's the tool, right? Yeah, that is the tool that people can use is taking the ownership of the situation. I know from the AARs that we did. Uh, in the Green Army, mm-hmm. people were more scared about calling out other people. Yeah, and that that's a failure in the AAR process. Absolutely. Yeah. And because nothing's getting, no one's learning anything, no one's evolving yeah. in any way, they're just saying, yeah, it was good training. Um, I didn't like the fact that so-and-so was here. Like, it just yeah. became a ridiculous uh, yeah, lip service waste to the, of time. Lip service to the event. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. once we got, um, I think once we got back from Afghanistan, you start realizing that those were life and death decisions mm-hmm. that it changed the whole aspect of it. Cause I know the AARs after I got back from overseas were way better than the ones beforehand. Right. Right. Um, but again, we just, I don't think we had the leadership in, in place that was really diving into the importance mm-hmm. of ownership mm-hmm. of every, uh, of everything in your world. Mm-hmm. And the AAR process is so, so huge in that. Oh yeah, in my mind. Yeah, big time. Yeah, if you're just glassing over the AAR process, then you're you're pretty much doing the whole event, the training event, disjustice. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Any? Um, do you have any final words, pieces of wisdom, things you can? Um, no, but there's some there's some books that uh, that have really helped me, and um, that Extreme Ownership book mm-hmm. by Jocko is a, is a really great book. But there's an author called uh, Ryan Holiday. I don't know if we're supposed to plug people's work here yeah, or not. Whatever, but, I'm good, man. <laughs> but um, Ryan Holiday has got two books called "Ego Is the Enemy" and "Obstacles Away," and those are two uh, huge books. Um, they those books uh, really pare down and um, really, uh, really. If you ask me, they're a book. They're books about the soft ethos, mm-hmm. and those books, um, like I said, they pare down each of the. Uh, the facets of of uh, the soft ethos and and why it's important, how it's important, how it'll affect you, how it affects others around you, and uh, how to go forward with it in your daily life. Uh, yeah. Those those two books are key. Right. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll I'll try to put them like a link to them. Yeah. Sure. The, sure. Um, the big ones for me, I think, uh, the Book of Five Rings. Oh yeah. Is just Masashi phenomenal. Yeah. Um, one of the tenets I pull out of that regularly is. Um, if you know the way broadly, you see the way in all things. Right. And it, it's so true because once you start diving into, one of the things that I, I dove into was leadership. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand how leadership worked mm-hmm. and why some people you would follow to hell and back and other guys you wouldn't. Right. And as I started studying it, now as I started understanding the concept of leadership, Man, I saw it in everything. <laughs> Started yeah. seeing why this didn't work, why that didn't work, yeah. why this did work, how this guy is able to manipulate these guys, how these people are able to lead other people. Like it just, mm-hmm. it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on combat, that was another. One. I read that while we were in Afghanistan, uh, right. in 08. right, and it helped me get through a lot of the understanding of the physiological effects of combat. Mm-hmm. And I remember actually reading it after one of the firefights we'd been in. It made me actually stop, put the book down, and like look and go, "Wow, I okay, that makes so much more sense." sense. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. That's why yeah. it happened. Yeah, um, and I think it was yeah. Somebody told me that an RPG went over my head at one point. And I mm-hmm. didn't even hear. I heard an explosion at some point during yeah. <laughs> the firefight, and I was just like, "Ah, somebody threw a grenade or whatever." And uh, they're like, "Man, you didn't even flinch when that RPG went past you." And I'm like. What RPG? What RPG? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it it was such a key book in being able to read that and go, oh, okay. It wasn't that I just didn't see it. 
like it did happen. Mm-hmm. Somebody else saw it, but it was not in my purview. I was right. focused on something else. So my my brain was like, doesn't matter. Yeah, dismiss it. Yeah, yeah. and then move on. So that that one's spe- uh, especially I recommend it for pretty much everybody I talk to. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great book. book. That is a great book. Um, other than that, I think we're good. Thank okay. you again for for being on here and no problem chatting with me. It's yeah, good awesome. times. That concludes this episode of The Toolbox. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you were able to use some of the information that was offered. I want to thank all those putting it on the line for us every day. Military, veterans, first responders, and public servants. Keep up the good work. I look forward to bringing you more tools for your toolbox. And until next time, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. Chimo.